Welcome to this special edition of Rob Gold and a Golden Nugget. And that um, today we will be discussing, as I say, the special football special episode, um, delving into some VR decisions, um, not just this season or anything like that, but going into the past couple of seasons, um, how it's affected matches clubs um going forward also talking about money in football as well so to kick things off as i say this will be a shorter episode than usual as it's a football special on that um it is football only today um as it is as it is a special episode today so without further ado um so the first incident that I will be discussing so this is going back to well under the 22-23 season and um, because obviously we're in 23-24 season now so it was a goal disallowed between Newcastle and Crystal Palace where the Crystal Palace player pushes the Newcastle player into the Crystal Palace goalkeeper the ball goes in off the Crystal Palace defender and goes into his own net as an own goal now, with the goal, it was not given. Now, on replay, I can understand, as I say, why it wasn't given to the point where, yes, the keeper was pretty much, the keeper was coming out, and as he came out to go to the ball, he basically ran in to the Newcastle player in the box, but it was a more of a collision um but it was because the fact that the palace player had pushed the newcastle player into him that made the contact whereas i think had that another happened the newcastle player may have got his head of the ball first and probably was putting it in the net but because the crystal palace player had pushed the newcastle player into the keeper the keeper as i say was out of his net down on the floor the goal originally was given but then var came over Basically, it said the referee have a look at this. Referee had a look at it, and basically, he'd seen the collision, was seen what happened. He obviously didn't look at the, he didn't he obviously didn't see the push because you can clearly see the the push by the Crystal Palace player on the Newcastle player, which evidently should have actually given it as a penalty to Newcastle if the ball, um, if the goal wasn't given, then it should have been a penalty to Newcastle because it was a clear push on the Newcastle player, but the goal wasn't given. And I honestly thought that if the goal wasn't given, then why wasn't overturned for a penalty then? If there was a clear push by the Palace player. But obviously, either VAR didn't look at that, or the referee didn't look at that. But either way, the goal did not stand. Um, so the next incident we will be discussing is one of the biggest ones, in my opinion, so far. Um, 
so this incident took place a couple of seasons ago where Rodri from Manchester City had a, a judge to have handled the ball. Now, when I say a judge to have handled the ball, so the ball was bouncing in the box. There was no players near him. He sticks his arm out. It hits him underneath the bottom of the arm. And on review, apparently, it hit part of the shirt. But my opinion is the fact that it hit more of the arm than the shirt. It should have been a handball. It was it was armed. It was handed ball. It was armed a ball, which meant it should have been given as a penalty. VAR didn't even really look at it, and that whenever the ball went out of play, there was a bit of a look at it. But because he said that it hit part of the shirt, which there was hardly any part of the shirt touched at all, it looked as if it hit the ball, it hit the arm more than the shirt. Um, it wasn't given as a penalty. Man City went on to win the match one 0 but also went on and won the league by a point. And that point was a big, that, that three points that they got in that match was a turning point. And I said to myself, when that happened, because Liverpool were the team that were chasing Man City at the time, and they were pretty much neck and neck going into the last games of the season as well. And had that decision had gone against Man City and had Everton had scored the penalty from that um, the penalty that they should have got then Liverpool would have won the league by um, point maybe two points I'm not sure what way it worked because I know Man City finished a point ahead so if you took away the two points it would have been you know a point um, it would have been two points less, so Liverpool, Liverpool would have won the league by a point, and that would have been a fair reflection, considering that Everton should have got that penalty. But that, to me, was one of the biggest ones, the biggest blunders that I've that I've seen from VAR. But we will discuss other ones as well. Um, then there was a Wolves goal, which was ruled out for offside versus Liverpool in the FA Cup. But the the ruling was apparently because the goal was the goal did not stand. Because there was a there wasn't a definitive clear angle for VAR to see, and they basically went with the on-field decision of being offside. Now, obviously, officials know the laws of the game; they know the offside rule. This is what the offside rule is. Is in that. So, I don't know if it was one whenever the ball had came in from the left-hand side. Because when you look at it at that angle, the player didn't touch the ball. But if the ball's meant for that person when the ball comes in, then that's probably why the flag had went up. Not for whenever the ball was put in. So that is probably why the linesman had flagged, because he was in an offside position when the first ball was coming in. And that and that to me that would have been the correct decision because I feel like the way VAR is handling offsides at the minute and things like that, it's really conflicting and it's damaging the game a wee bit, in my opinion, because you're getting decisions there that, okay, if they're offside by a country mile, fair enough, flag up. If they're leaving the flag down because they're maybe half a yard on, half a yard off, 
I can understand why as well, why they don't put the flag up straight away. Because they need the they need the chance for that player to maybe run onto the ball and save and put it in the net. If he's offside, he's offside. Do you know what I mean? But if it's a tight one and it's like really tight, because to me, you see this whole thing, I, I've always disagreed with it. If you're half a yard on and you're half, half a yard off, to me, you should be given the benefit of the doubt as being half a yard onside, you know, because you're not a full, you're not a full yard off. And to me, that's what you should really be offside by. None of this millimeter business and stuff like this, because and none of this business, like, you know, they're all talking about like, you know, well, it, it should be, this should be judging it by your foot. And I was like, but, but you can also score with your head. So if you're saying, saying that basically, if they're trying to say like, oh, we're only judging it by your foot being on an offside position. Why? If you score with your head and your head's in an offside position, well, surely that shouldn't stand because it's offside. Do you know what I mean? So this nonsense about just your foot, no. I say if you're offside from your head down, and that put the flag up, fine. But if your if your arm or your sleeve portion of where your arm meets down is off as is, is in an onside position, and that then you're onside. That's the way that they're that's the way they do it now. And that's the way it should be. Because any part any part of your body that's still in an onside position, that like if you're like if you're if you if your arm is offside because you can't score a goal with your arm, you know, unless it takes a big wicked deflection off, you know, somebody has a shot and hits off your arm, that's that's different. But you cannot score as as a forward, you cannot score with your arm. Do you know what I mean? So your arm should not have anything to do with being in an offside position or not. Do you know what I mean? If your if your arm hits a ball in the box, that's the stonewall. That's a penalty all day long, depending on how far away from the body the arm is. And that's what we're going to be talking about after I talk about these incidents as well, because that has come into some question recently as well. So we'll discuss the next couple of incidents um as well so the next one that i'm discussing about is the west ham goal was ruled as a foul on the goalkeeper for chelsea and the ball was put in the net with minimal contact um on the goalkeeper in my opinion and to me it was not enough to warrant the foul but the original decision was given as a goal the referee was was pretty much pointing to this pointing to the center circle but until var had intervened brought the referee over referee said no goal now the chelsea goalkeeper was coming out to close the ball down came out slid, slid down and he, he did play the ball off the west ham player but it was like the he was he was slightly caught on the top of kind of like the shoulder was it enough for him to stay down for the length of time he did no it was minimum con minimal contact and that but not enough for him to stay down on the floor for that length of time he knew it because he was he was touched you know he was you know slightly kicked that 
he would stay down on the floor. He knew he was going to get the goal overturned. Because when a goalkeeper goes down, nine times out of ten, goalkeepers get the decisions like that. Um, there is also an incident that I haven't wrote down, but I am going to bring up because it's it'll because this is where it's going to make things interesting. I think as well, um, because it's big, it was a big talking point at the time. Um, but again, it's something that really annoyed me not just on the day but like for a long time after it because there was so much went wrong with it that the referee was at fault the linesman was at fault and obviously the player in question with the you know the goalkeeper who made the foul was at fault as well and that um now obviously the referee can only do his job that's fine and that's fair enough the linesman again can only do his job as well and that where they're they're told to put the flag up only whenever they you know they see fit kind of thing if they think if they definitely think it's offside put the flag up but it was because they didn't put the flag up until after the incident had happened was the more more annoying thing but i will get into that very shortly as well so as i say in my opinion that west ham goal against chelsea should have stood but i can understand as to why it didn't um so then so we were going into a decision between manchester city now they scored a goal where where rodri who seemed to be creeping up in these var decisions was standing clearly offside he was making his way back from an offside position as the ball was being played forward then an Aston Villa player had went to play the ball, but it ended up being on ended up going to Rodri, who then set up the chance for Man City, which they ended up scoring from. Now, the only thing I can suggest of why it was given is because the Aston Villa player had made contact with the ball, meaning that it direct that the ball didn't directly go to Rodri from the ball play through from the Man City player. Now the thing about it is this is where I think they should really revert to almost the old school way of offside by just putting the flag up so it takes away the controversial side of things. Rodri was about 20 odd yards offside as the first ball had been played and then he did get himself into an outside position, but then, you know, once whenever the Villa, Aston Villa player had touched it, I think that's had the Aston Villa player maybe not have touched it, and Rodri got to the ball first, then maybe I could see it definitely had gone up, but the flag to me should have went up either way because he was because of, because he because he was making himself active, so when you come from twenty yards offside. And then you're making yourself active again. That's that's not how it works. Do you know? I mean, you could you could stand up. So basically, here's he's saying that you could go up there and stand up towards where the, the you know the opposing goalkeeper is. Stand up there. A ball's played through. You could bring yourself in an onside position without touching the ball. And then one of the other players gets the ball and passes to you, and you score. Now that 
this is where it gets interesting for me because to me if you're that far offside like that where you are standing up where the goalkeeper the opposing keeper is and you're 30 yards away from the play you get yourself back onside again you know so if the player so if the other player gets the ball and passes you you're onside do you know what i mean so you know that's as i say that's part of you know obviously that's the main rule for it type of thing so you so you can kind of like it's almost it's almost like you're bending the rules slightly in that sense of it you know by being so far offside from like maybe the first ball out but because the ball's not been played to you and they, and the, they know that you're offside and then as the other so as in when say another the other attacker has the ball and you're getting yourself onside it means you can turn around and basically run towards that way and you're still in an onside position so that to me i think needs a bit more It needs a bit more clarification because if you're standing, if you're standing so far offside, and then you become active again, you know from you know from a phase of play because that's still in one phase of play. Do you know what I mean? So one phase of play is basically so you know without the ball going out of play is basically like pass, 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 and that. But because the ball's not going to you, you're onside. So that's where that's why to me and say it's always that's always going to stand for an off for offside no matter how many times you go over it you know so you can kind of but i but the, but that's just my opinion on on how far you know people you know players and that go to the point where they go so far offside and then they're trying to maybe jog up the back to get back onside quickly enough for the ball to come up towards them but this whole thing of like the player not touching the ball thing you know but then becoming active in a different part of play you know kind of thing that's where to me it's a bit kind of iffy in a sense too because when the ball so when a player is maybe slightly in an offside position and he gets himself onside type of thing. Or if a ball is played towards him, for example, but dummies the ball. So the ball doesn't actually, so he doesn't touch the ball, but he dummies the ball and it rolls into another player and then they put it in the net. To me, that's an active player because he's made of movement. If you make a movement with the ball coming your way and you're in an offside position, you should be offside because just because you haven't touched the ball you are interfering with that play because you've opened your legs for the ball to go through for the other player you know to either put it in the net or whatever so that should be offside if a player is in line with the goalkeeper and a goalkeeper and, and a shot comes in even if it's from distance and a player sort of either you know, goes to flick it on or goes to head it or whatever that again should be offside and that it should never be onside because the player has interfered with flick with flicking it do you know what i mean so even if he hasn't touched it he's trying he's still interfered with it and that happened actually <laughs> believe it or not in a man city match this season where i can't remember the player who, who it was but a shot came in from one of the man city players 
and a Man City player was in line with the goalkeeper. Now the, the scores, as far as I can think of, they were it was either one nil to the other team, or it might have been one each, and it was quite close to half time. I can't remember the exact score line at the time, but I remember the incident where the ball was come in, and that which was which was on which was on target, and that but because the player who was standing right in front of the goalkeeper, and that had. Uh, He hadn't touched it type of thing the ball ended up uh, going in from that and the goal stood and i thought to myself that's a bit weird because that should have been overturned for for offside because the fact that you had a player standing in an offside position but yes so again we will go on to the next incident um where again man city were involved in this too so Man City do seem to crop up a lot in VAR decisions and that and to be quite honest you're probably going to see that quite a few times over and in my opinion that's something else the Premier League should be looking at as well why do, be, why do Man City keep happening to be involved in these VAR decisions there's only one answer to that in my opinion but that's another that's a topic for another time um, so what happened in this one so so basically rod i think it was actually bernardo silva had went to play a ball into the box but it hit basically um i think it was uh it was a wolves player but i'm trying to think of his name now was it was it is it matinio you call him i think it was is it, is it matinio I can't remember if it's something, but it's but it's something like that. He's a port. It was a port. Another Portuguese player. Um, Portuguese representing. It's one of the two. But he plays for Wolves. And what happened was, the ball was played in the into in the box. He jumped up, but the ball had actually hit like his armpit. His armpit. Not and and the thing about so that and it was looked at the referee basically on the spot, gave it straight away as a penalty. And he also then basically VAR didn't even overturn it. Hit him right in the armpit. And when I seen the replay of it, I was like, I was like, nah, that's not even a penalty. And Man City went on to win the game 1-0 from, from that. They scored the penalty. It wasn't a penalty. Never. If you were to look at that 10 times over, you should be getting no penalty every time but from what i can remember i think the referee was either i'm not coming from his name i'm not sure if it was john moss or, or if it was uh, paul tierney who is another is another bit of a referee who gives weird decisions and that um from time to time but i say the penalty was given for the fact that it wasn't even like the player didn't even handle the ball it hit his armpit he jumped up ball hits in the armpit so even if it hit the shirt portion of the sleeve and that like that's no more of where you know because obviously where the armpit is you can't give a you know that's not that's not a handball you know do you know what i mean unless it hits your inside of your arm and you put your arm up or something like that then yeah fair enough but it hits him right in the armpit that's not a handball do you know what i mean 
That wasn't a penalty. It should never, should never have been a penalty. Um, and then because when you take that incident for that one, and this was in the same season as well as the Rodri hand, one that was a handball but wasn't given as a handball, where it should have been, where it was more of a handball than that. And that's what infuriated me more watching the two back going, so why was that a penalty? Why was that a penalty but that wasn't? When that one there was more of a penalty than that one, and that's what that's what that's what always questions me thinking. Right, okay, Man City have bought the FA over here. There's no because there's no way, there's no way that that should have been given as a penalty, the one between Wolves and Man, Man City, compared to the Rodri one. The Rodri one was a stonewall penalty, whereas that one wasn't even anywhere near a penalty. So and that one, that is where they basically. So they won the match. Shouldn't have, shouldn't have been, should have got, shouldn't have got the penalty, which would have finished nil each. That would have been two points less. Would have had from that. Then the match against Everton, where they went, the they won the game one nil, but not from the penalty. If Everton had been given the penalty that and scored it, that would have been another two points. So Liverpool could have won the league by three points. If you're just going off in those decisions. Now, there was probably a few decisions that went maybe towards Liverpool that season as well. And not because they always say VAR equals itself out and things like that over a season. And I'm like, mm, no, it doesn't. It doesn't work like that because you need to go game by game. But for these referees that come out and saying, oh, we got the decision wrong. How can you get a decision wrong when you've got VAR there to help you as a referee? And that, do you know what I mean? You've got someone up, upstairs in another room type of thing here looking at all these incidents, looking at all these angles, and yet still get it wrong. You know, and there is something I'm going to talk about as well if I have the time to talk about it as well too after these incidents um, as well, because, and which we'll get into very, very shortly, because I have two more incidents that I would like to talk about. Um, so this one here is really an interesting one. Um, so Newcastle, in my opinion, should have been awarded a penalty versus Burnley, as the Burnley player's boot was really high, uh, and it was in the box, but only a corner was given. Um, so basically, a corner comes in, ball bounces about a bit. Burnley player goes to Newcastle. New player, Newcastle player comes in to tries to head at the ball, and that towards the net. Burnley player comes in. And puts his foot really high, like I mean, like head head height high. And it wasn't even the fact that the Newcastle player had put his head down low; it was the fact that the Burnley player had, had left his foot in really high. Now, did he contact make contact with the player? I don't think he did. The player did go down, but it didn't really make contact with the player. But again, to me, it still should have been a penalty. Um, if it had been given as a penalty. The player could have been sent off for 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 dangerous tackle, and that, um, which as I say, we will discuss about very shortly as well for a couple of minutes. Um, after that, but in my opinion, Newcastle should have had, um, that goal, um, or that, that penalty given, um, but wasn't given. It was given as just it was only given as a corner. Then we're going to move into this one. So West Brom, in my opinion, should have had a goal given, but it was overturned by VAR. But the player who wasn't interfering with the play, who was who was offside, but he wasn't the goal scorer. 
So in the replay, it shows that Vestergaard, who was the Southampton defender, was basically, he, that's where the line was drawn. And the line was drawn towards where the player who was in an offside position, but he wasn't the one that scored it. It was a player who was slightly behind because when you see the color of boots in the you know in the picture you wonder how that that was given as an offside when he wasn't even the when the player whose feet were before the line had scored the goal and you can see clearly that he was a goal scorer because you could you could see it as clear as daylight that he that it was his boot where the ball comes off where it goes in um, but yet the player who was judged to be an offside and the, um, the offside stood, but the goal didn't. That for me was a, was, an, was another big one. Um, and it's those key decisions, especially for teams in and around the bottom of, of the Premier League as well, where they're fighting for you know survival pretty much. And when they don't get decisions going for them, especially big ones like that. Um, and that's where sometimes VAR fails in part of the game, but you can see where VAR does work when it when it wants to work. It's not as much VAR wanting to work, it's the officials behind VAR that sometimes can be the problem. So you've got you've got maybe officials there who are against certain teams or who don't like certain teams winning or who don't like certain teams wanting to win, but they have to be neutral. But you've got you've got certain officials who don't play like that, who like basically give fouls left, right, and centre to the other team that they're playing against. When maybe there's no even foul, there's not even a foul in it, um, and things like that. You know, they'll be like if the referee goes and say like, oh yeah, there's a free, there's a foul, there's a penalty there, but there's hardly any contact, and the referee will have a word with VAR, and and VAR will be like. Yeah, we're not overturning that. There's nothing. There's no foul. There's no. Uh, there's you know. There's no warrant for it to be overturned. But yet, whenever you see the replay, there's no contact. So, and that's where you get referees and officials going like, just seeing the pictures of it, don't understand why it was given as a penalty when there was no contact made, and that's where the officials and the PGMOL, um, basically will come out and say like, you know, we're sorry. We should that, that should never have been a penalty or whatever or that should have, that goal should have stood. There's no point in coming out with that. If you're going to come out with that, then award them the goal, award that team the goal, or award them, you know, something. Because th those big talking points and matches affect teams top or bottom of a league, or can affect like as I say, their position in the, in the league. And if they were if they were awarded after a game and things like that and were rightfully awarded after a game whenever the, if everything was checked through like after it's been done then you would have to hold your hands up to pgmo and go like well do you know what that's a good decision used to actually doing that see if they've done that instead of like offering these apologies by referees and things like that for getting decisions wrong that are so wrong then do that that would clear everything up if, if they say like oh it should have been a penalty then what they should do with that is either get whoever would be the goalkeeper and whoever would be the penalty taker get them like 
to basically take a penalty at one of their training grounds and so whoever was the home team or whatever it gets to be at their at their ground at their training facility or whatever and the player comes out the player scores the penalty then that, that penalty gets added onto that match you know so even if it happens to be a winning penalty you know or a win, do you know what i mean then that's the way it goes and that's that's my opinion because at the end of the day no point in these referees coming out out of a game after a game or whatever. Whenever they see a bang goal, like look, you know what? I should that should have been, I should have been a penalty. I don't know what, what I was missed. That's been a penalty. That's how yeah. That's how I would handle that and be like, there we go. That's how you do it. Because then um, it means. But there again, at the same time, it's like you know, if referees keep getting decisions wrong like that, they're and they go and they're doing that every week. You're going to have all these different aspects of it so you have to look at it logically as well sort of thing you know you just can't just go by you know by that side of it too but that is what i would do if if it's a penalty take it to that training ground type of thing and that if it's if it's a stone wall penalty that wasn't given not one of these 50 50 decision ones that's different if it's one that splits fans down the middle then no it has to be one that referees see that's the thing as well too because referees might be opinionated when it comes to like seeing it back again do you know what i mean so if you had so many referees that were doing that do you know what i mean but what you have to look at would it affect the game as well so if a team was winning maybe 3-1 and a penalty should have been awarded and it wasn't you know would that really affect the scoreline you know type of thing the timing of the match timing of the game how long was left things like that if it was like maybe 20 minutes left and maybe but that's that's another thing. If it was maybe if 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 the match finished maybe one 0 to the other team, um, and the team who got the penalty was going to equalize or whatever from the spot but wasn't given, then I would do it that way. But if it was a team that was winning one 0 who got the penalty, I would get them to do that because goal difference is a key element in football as well, um, and it can play a big part in. Stand up, get in the top four spot, win in the league. And um, we know, because we know, as I say, um, you know, there's been um, seasons there where, like, you know, teams have won a league by goal difference, by, you know, not just goal score, but by goal difference as well, sort of thing. So it definitely plays a key role in that. So on the subject of, still on the subject of football and of, uh, decisions going the way of some things and things like that. I'm going to discuss with challenges that I've seen given as red cards. So maybe at the time they were maybe not given as red cards, but they were maybe just given as either a yellow and a free kick, but then VAR happens to overturn it or say to the referee, look, you may want to have a look at this. This was quite a hefty challenge. And then they'll look at it. And then they'll be like, okay, it'll be up to them if they decide to give it a red card or whatever. But there were a few decisions this weekend and this weekend's fixtures that have that I noticed that to me were debatable because there's all this talk about following through. Now, a player wins a ball with a great tackle, I seen, and couldn't understand why 
there was a player rolling about on the floor. So on a replay, you see, you do see the player winning the ball with one foot, but then the follow through from the other foot, you know, catching the player, not like intently or not dangerously at all. And the referee not only just gives it gives a free kick, which in my opinion wasn't even a free kick because you clearly see the ball being won. Um, and that from the player and the referee gives a free kick, gives him a yellow card because he sees the other pair going down. And then on the replay, the referee takes away the yellow card and gives him a straight red card instead for the tackle. Now, on a replay, when I seen it back, I thought to myself, there's nothing wrong with that tackle. There was nothing wrong with the tackle was perfect. He gets the ball. Yes, there's maybe a bit of a follow through, but there's always going to be a follow through because you can't. You're in control of that tackle to a point, but then as you're going through with the tackle, you're you're going you're always going to have one foot. It's gonna it's gonna be loose when you're making a tackle, and the tackle that came in where he won the ball with his his left. I think it was his left foot. He might have won it with. And that, and then the trailing foot, the trailing leg, and that caught him. But it wasn't even a reckless tackle, and yet he gets sent off for it. And that's the thing that annoys me. Like that incident with the, the Newcastle one with a high foot, that would have been dangerous. That's dangerous. Like I remember um, Manny uh, for Liverpool got sent off for a high foot on. Um, Ederson. Now the difference with that is you see Ederson had came out of his net about 30 40 yards out of his net and that and yes goalkeepers can come out and things like that that's fine and that but it's like but he he caused the danger by coming out do you know what I mean yes he stopped Manny from scoring because Manny would have went on to score there's no question about that but why come so far out of your net? I mean, yes, Ederson's quick, and he and he was quick, you know, to get um, to get ahead of Manny in that situation. But he shouldn't have put himself into that jeopardy of getting himself injured, you know, for that. I mean, he's came out of his net forty yards out, so that's why it always I always question that goalkeepers shouldn't be allowed out of their box unless it's for a set piece. So if it's coming up towards like the 90th minute or something like that, and it's maybe the game's like one each or two, one to the other team, and you're allowed to send your goalkeeper up for a set piece, then that's the only time you're allowed to have them. Now, if they're having to run back, you have to allow them to run back. That's fine, because they'll just run back straight, straight to their goal anyway. But that should be the only time that they should be allowed out of their box. Do you know what I mean? Because, you know, yes, if they're... If they're that's why you have like four defender, three defenders, four defender, whatever, how many defenders it is you have to be there to have at least one back. So at least, you know, you've, you've got one back to defend, you know, against someone who's maybe, you know, hitting you on, a, on an attack like that. That That's my opinion because it, it takes away, you know, as I say, a player getting himself injured, you know, especially a goalkeeper and that, um, and what, and what have you. But 
that is that's just my take on it um but again as always um let me know your opinions on the subjects that, that have been discussed in today's episode so far um i did say this was actually going to be shorter than most episodes that i normally do but it's actually going to be slightly longer because i still have to talk about the money side of football which is actually an interesting read because i thought to myself well okay yes some teams have spent more than others that is fine because some other clubs some clubs make more well get more money coming in not make more money but get more money coming in and i think sometimes it's where they're getting the money from and from sometimes it's the question and that you know how they've been able to manage around that situation um yes clubs sell players and things like that to get them off their wages and things like that and that's fair enough but when you're sitting there with basically unlimited funds where but you has but you still have to abide by so the so-called financial fair play rules and things like that that's where it gets a bit complicated for some teams where some teams are trying to abide by as best as they can and then you get other teams in the same division who try to bypass it by somehow being able to you know get around bending the rules slightly um and that you know whether it's like naming rights on a stadium um which as i say the, the you know it's and we all know who i'm probably talking about here which would be man city at the minute because they're the ones now to be fair chelsea were the first ones that were really coming in with the money you know drastically like heavily and that and sort of like the, sort of the mid sort of the mid noughties as it were as it were you know around sort of like you know somewhere around about the 2001 2002 season where they were starting to get a bit more money coming in because there was a new owner coming in uh roman abramovich and that which many of you would probably remember um in the football world of things and that as a new chelsea owner and um, bringing in jose Mourinho as a manager of the club uh winning you know premier league champions championships um, but they didn't win the Champions League until I think it was maybe 2007, was it? I think it might have been. It was somewhere in and around that. I think it was, was it 2007 or was it after that? I can't remember. Something. 2007 sounds familiar to me, for um, but I might be wrong. Because um, I know Liverpool won it in 2005. And then obviously Liverpool's next one after that wasn't until two thousand and well, it was basically the year that the what was it twenty nineteen? Because then they won the Premier League the year after that. I say it was a 2018-2019 season they won the Champions League, and then it was nineteen. Was it the nineteen twenty season? Yeah, it would have been. It was twenty nineteen to twenty twenty because COVID nineteen had came into effect, um, early twenty twenty, and that's whenever the season shut down for a few months and then started back up again. And that, um, that's how I remember. Um, how I remember that because I had to finish the rest of the matches all behind closed doors, and that, um, 
and that so they had and then when it restarted um obviously it was with some fans in and that um and things like that um and what have you and then obviously for the season i think it was for this kind of can't remember what date it was but they were allowing fans back in properly again and that um after after that and stuff but um which was always nice. it was always good to see back again because they see whether um with having no fans in the stadiums and things like that you know you know obviously it was hurting clubs and things like that you know financially and stuff like that you know for um because obviously that was their one of their receipts get receipts and stuff you know was one of their big things for getting people in um but again as i say obviously like the chelsea um manchester city obviously we know chelsea has spent heavily this season but they also got some money in as well sort of thing so you have to weigh up um the balances from that side of it as well and i have got the top six um teams who um as i say who'd, who'd spent some money um Okay. Um, who will also be um, in with us? Um, and they say so. These stats, as they were provided by TransferMarket.co.uk. So basically, as I say, Chelsea uh, were basically the, the the team who had spent who had spent more money, um, and that which I think is very clear to see. Um, and that obviously there were two players that they bought on. The last day of the transfer window and that for what fees for over nearly 150 million kind of thing between two players and that give or take um are close to it um but the money that they basically had walked away with as such after you know from this window as such was minus 195.10 million so that was after players who but bought and sold um, and then next you had Tottenham Hotspur um, actually who were a minus of 126.40 million um, again after players being sold and bought and sold for um, and then Man City were 126.60 million um, after player as in some minus 126.60 million um, after players been bought and sold, um, then you had Arsenal with one hundred and sixty seven point zero four million. Um, after players were bought and sold, um, then you had Manchester United with one hundred and fifty one point three six million, between uh, you know minus one hundred and fifty one point three six million. Um, between players bought and sold, then you had Liverpool with a minus one hundred eleven point three zero million, between players being bought and sold, and Newcastle. With the next club of 108 minus 108.60 million again after players were bought and sold now so that was the top six but only because of the top six it was because of what was spent and um, not the total figure because you did have one or two clubs lower than that who were actually bought were actually in the green as well which meant that they brought in they so they so they so they bought players but they also sold players um for maybe more than what the um you know paid for as such if you know what i mean so so say for example i can't remember what team it was but say for example 
uh, say Burnley, for example. So if they spent, so if they sold maybe players of about 50, 60 million pound, and maybe only bought one player, two players between 20 and 30 million, it means then that they've actually made 30 million. So they were in green of 30 million, for example, um, and things like that. But as I say, um, those were the top six teams of that who that was told wise um who and as i say chelsea they were the biggest spenders um this season um with as i say newcastle being the sixth biggest team to spend this season um but that's the types of teams you, you would normally see in and around up there um obviously you know when you see spurs being the second team there it's probably because of more so obviously the soul Harry Kane um to Bayern Munich um this season. Um but then obviously as players that they've bought in and things like that, you know, even if even if it hasn't been maybe a 70, 80 million pound player type of thing, but they've maybe spent maybe thirty to forty million on a couple of players, you know, each at that amount. And that's what that's you know would have added up. You know, into that as well. Plus, any of the players that they maybe bought in who were maybe about 10 or 15 million a piece type of thing as well, it, it all adds up, you know, as as I'm sure you know. Um, but yeah, um, but again, um, tell me what you think, what your opinions are. You know, is money ruining football? Um, is it ruining, is it ruining the beautiful game, as we call it? Um, and that some think it is, some, some don't think it is, some think. Some people say that you know, you know it, it. You know it does have to run to a point with you know with money in football. But I think it's more. I think people get annoyed more whenever they have all these you know sort of owners come in who, well, so-called owners come in who are from you know, the likes of Saudi Arabia and all these oil-driven countries and stuff like that, um, or they have this these ones that come in that say like you know they're part of a consortium type of thing who have got loads of like loads of money who are coming in who are wanting to buy a football club and things like that they add to their portfolio and all this here type of thing on that um and then they're saying they're they're all they're all in for the right reasons and stuff for the footballing reasons for they won't want to do it for the fans and we want to bring you know good great players into the club and that we want to get the club back up to where where it should be and and things like this and it's like yeah it's good saying that but then you know what you have to consider is ffp that's why you get so many clubs nowadays like having to try to be careful about it but you're still getting teams that are pretty much almost breaking it to a point where people are saying you know what what's the point in ffp anymore if no one's really going to do anything about it like the premier league is sitting there at the minute with a load of issues with man city at the minute um which I say we'll slightly talk about um, in, a, in this episode as well, because they were all brought to attention about a year ago, probably longer than that, with the you know with the to the Premier League, but it was only made public as to what was going on, and that was about a year ago. There's been nothing since. So whether or not they're still looking into this, like really looking into this and that because they've been hit with over a hundred charges. Now, if you're hit with so many charges, surely 
surely, surely, surely there is something there for them to basically say, wait, okay, you were in the wrong for that. So we're docking your points from this season, that season. So if that's the case, now they should be able to not, they shouldn't be docking the points from the from the, this current season. They should be docking the points that they're being charged from. So for example, if they're being charged from say, even in any season that they've, they may have won the league or whatever. So if they're being docked points from that and say a team who was in second place, um, it brought the points down enough for the, for the team who was in second to actually win the league, then they should be awarded the league, in my opinion. And I think that's what they're looking at um, because they know that if they do... Now, if the Premier League or whatever happened to be looking at these and don't do anything about it, or it's the ones that are maybe a less effective one where like you know what you can keep your trophies you can keep all that but these are going to be fined so much you know such and such a money what's the point in finding them that's not going to really do anything because they've got unlimited sources they've got unlimited funds they're run by a country which everyone knows so how are they getting away with it that is the that's the main question how are manchester city and any other club who are owned by a country getting away with this kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? It just, that's the part that annoys me more as how teams who are owned by countries get away with it. If they've got proper owners who are running the club, you know, and that who aren't like, you know, apart, aren't like, you know, country ran or whatever, that's fine because they're just owners of a football club who maybe own other big businesses and that is fine. But if you're running it and you're basically going like to the, to your, to the country again to get more money again, well, that's, that's not right. And that's, that is probably one of the reasons why Qatar got the World Cup when it did money. They would have paid FIFA big money. To get them there they would have had to build stadiums and um, new stadiums that would only be used maybe once every so often to be and then to be turned into something else after probably you know like hotels or whatever because there's no way that we keep them there just for football because football in saudi arabia and things like that or in Qatar isn't that not that popular to watch? You wouldn't you wouldn't fill like you know stadiums that are maybe built with eighty thousand fans or four eighty thousand fans. You wouldn't get that. Do you know what I mean? So to build so to, to build it for that, it's different if you're maybe building grounds that are maybe that were maybe about forty thousand or forty five thousand, and then big build big one big one. That's a, that's going to hold say about one hundred and twenty. You know somewhere between one hundred and one hundred and twenty thousand. Do you know what I mean? Because then, because then you can make that stadium, you know, a special stadium rather than you know, having like all these big massive stadiums around, you know, around the country. You know, you need to think logical. You know, you can't just like just because you've got your, you know, just because the country's made of money type of thing doesn't mean to say like, you know, oh there you go, here we'll, we'll build a stadium here, we'll build like eight football stadiums at about eighty thousand people, you know, eighty thousand seats of cedar cedar stadium or whatever. And it's like no, you don't want to do that because that's just a waste of money. 
but at least they've got money to waste, I suppose. <laughs> Wish I had that sort of money, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, um, but as I say, that does conclude the football special episode this evening. Again, I've been Rob Gold. Um, again, as I say, I do have the socials open um, and that. Um, so whenever these episodes get put out onto the likes of Spotify and Amazon, uh, for the podcasts and stuff like that, um, as I say, I will try and get the link, a link for them each so people can um, respond to them. I will be putting them up. I say once this episode finishes, I will finish the recording. Uh, and once it's all edited to what I need to do with it, um, it will be up uh, very soon. Um, and then available, as I say, on Amazon and on Spotify. Um, and I say I will link it into my social accounts. And if you have any opinions on what has been talked about um, in today's episode, and uh, let me know. And as I say again, thank you very much for taking the time to listen to the podcast. And again, I have been Rob Gold on this football special episode. And I will be back very soon this week as well with another Rob Gold episode, um, which will which will be um, uploaded for Thursday as well. And that and that we will be talking again, reviewing uh, reviewing Raw from uh, say this past Monday night. Um, and any stories that come through as well along with that and basically as i say the usual kind of stuff between football results over the weekend and predictions for this coming weekend as well so i want to say thank you again for those who tune in and that and as always i just want to say one thing if you're not already doing this then please do this for me Acknowledge me. See you soon, folks. Good evening.